First Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 12 and cover two topics today, hopefully. Um, chapter 15, verse 12 through uh, uh, 34. <clears throat> and this is going to sound familiar because we read some of this last week. If Christ has preached that he has been risen from the dead, uh, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And we are found to be false witnesses uh, concerning God because we have testified that uh, God uh, raised up Christ, who he didn't, in fact, raise up, if, in fact, the dead don't rise. If the dead do not rise, Christ is not risen, Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life, we, uh, if we only have hope in this life, in Christ, then we are of all men the most pitiable. Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, and man... Uh, also came the resurrection of the dead. Present Ad, Adam all die, so now in Christ all will be made alive. Each one in his order. Christ the first fruits after, uh, and then those who are uh, Christ at his coming, and then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the Father. And he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, and he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are under him, it is evident that he who puts all things under him is, of course, the exception. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will be subject to him who put all things under him, so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead, if the dead do not rise at all? Why, then, are they baptized for the dead? Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts in Ephesus, what advantage has it been to me? If the dead do not rise, let us think, eat, drink, and uh, for tomorrow do we die. Don't be deceived. Evil companions corrupt good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. All right, so I want to back up here, and, and we began talking about who would have this idea that there was no resurrection, and we talked about probably it was the beginnings. Uh, there were three possible groups at the time that, that had questions about it, and probably the, the culprit he speaks of is the, the philosophers in Athens that were starting to influence Christianity because of its proximity to Corinth. Um, but I want to get into, more uh, importantly, the logical conclusions of what this would mean if there was none. A lot of times people say, well, you know, you have this view and I have this view. And what is it really important that we believe the same thing? Well, some, some things for sure. You know, the resurrection is the cornerstone of, of Christianity. But I think what we're going to see is, is that 
you know, eventually when you start damaging something, you say, well, I still behave. I mean, they were still acting like Christians, apparently, right? Uh, you think? They were still going to church. They were still, I guess, maybe if we look at the church in Corinth, they weren't, you know. But, uh, but a lot of people use that logic where they say, well, you know, I still live and do the same things. Does it make a difference if I have a different belief? Um, and God wants doctrinal purity. So what does he describe here as the things that happen if you start believing this? What, what are the logical conclusions of this doctrine? Yes. Is the, the linchpin of this faith, of our faith, is the fact that Christ was God and he died and he actually died and was actually raised. Right. And he conquered death. Okay. For us okay. In act, in, in doing so. And if that didn't happen, well, then everything else is meaningless. Okay. Let's be more specific. He, he kind of runs through. I, I, like his, I like his style. I like the way he argues. If this, then that. It's very scientific method, kind of postulate and theorem, you know, if this, then this, and if that, then that. And he does these rhetorical things everywhere that Paul writes. He'll, he'll do this. He'll, he'll, he'll give a um, hypothetical situation. If Okay, let's consider if. And then he runs through all of the ramifications, and you get to the end, and you're like, wow, I never thought of that. I guess that affects a lot. So, 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 what does it affect? Okay, so, so, preaching and faith are both useless. As you said, it's the cornerstone of our message. When we, everything we do here is on the basis of, of Christianity, or, or is on the basis of the resurrection. That's all, all Christianity. I mean, we have an entire portion of our service dedicated to remembering something then that really is useless. We get up there and we talk about it. And we, our, our, our sermons are really everything. What, what is our sermons about? I mean, I can preach about doing good things and we've been talking about our evangelism. Okay. But why, why evangelize? What's the purpose of evangelization? To get people to go where? Heaven. heaven, which doesn't exist. <laughs> like my entire, every message I've ever preached has been pointless. And worship in the same way we're singing songs. Oh, yeah, we're, we're singing. Right, right. What, what hope? What? <laughs> so so my, my preaching and my faith are, are in vain. Okay? So all of the good advice, none of it has any value. Okay, what else? What else is the ramification in here? There's a bunch. He lists a bunch of them. Okay, so uh, now, so that's kind of connected to my preaching. I, I, I'm a, I'm sort of a liar. I'm misrepresenting God, uh, and a lot of people think this is important for any topic. We, we think well. Yeah, we hear the phrase. Well, we'll just agree to disagree. <coughs> I don't agree. <laughs> I'm not agreeing to disagree. 
Because that's, that's me saying, well, one of us, me or you, or both, is wrong or partially wrong, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay if I'm wrong. That's what I'm going to believe. I am misrepresenting God, or you are misrepresenting God, or both of us are misrepresenting God. That's also an option. <laughs> we could both be wrong. We could both be partially right. But, but God says, it's not acceptable to misrepresent me. I would hate to get to heaven and have to stand before God and know not only that you believed something that was wrong, but then you led a whole group of people to do that same thing too. Right. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. That that is that is it's it's such a dangerous philosophy or a mindset that think well I'm a better debater so whoever's the better debater wins and is right yeah like no I you can be a bad debater and still be right or what whatever the the thing that people think that I, I come out and there's more people oh this I am with the majority don't care. Uh, typically, I, I, I tend to think I'd rather not be with the majority. That's the way I tend to view things. Um, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable. Not, not in all things, you know. The majority of the people believe that the world is round. Pretty sure that they're right. But, but when it comes to controversial issues, I tend to think, my, my observation is that when there's pressure being put on people to believe a thing, that the majority tends to be wrong in those areas. Right? Doctrinally, look at doctrinally where the majority of people are in, on, on virtually any, you know, any type of a controversial doctrine. It's, it's, you, you're gonna, you just find again and again the majority is not where you want to be. <laughs> so, uh, so there's another thing. Our our mis misrepresentation of God is a is a outcome of no resurrection. What else? We're still in our sins. They oh, we are still in our sins. We still have this problem because we're preaching a cure that didn't take place. Right? We we are, you know, we're snakeskin snake oil salesmen. Is basically what we are. Dr. Pepper, curious what ails you. <laughs> so, um, anything else? Did they also believe that there was no hell if there's no heaven? Uh, so I don't. I don't. I'm not familiar with all the ins and outs. There were there were people that I'm sure that rejected any of it, um, like the Epicureans probably thought everything was now, so just enjoy everything now. Uh, there were people that obviously, Hades is a Greek word, it comes from their understanding of, of the afterlife. It's based on Hades, it's based on the person Hades who was in charge of Hades. <laughs> so um, so uh, the brother of Zeus, allegedly, and and so uh, it, it, that all it, it's not that the Christian belief comes from that but that 
Christianity used terminology that people were familiar with uh, to try to convey an actual truth. Um, And likely, the Greeks have this in their culture from an idea that was there, you know, long before it was even Greek culture. Just little things that come down through time and are changed over and given superstition, you know, so. But even his statement, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Okay, so this is where I want to get to. Uh, This is, I think, one of the more main points uh, because he, he kind of comes to something and then, then he goes through a little bit and then comes back to it with that statement. Uh, he says, we are the most pathetic, really. We're the most pitiable of all people on the planet. Now, you are familiar with Pascal's Wager. I've gone through that before. Have you? Um, Pascal's Wager. Pascal was a Christian, loosely, quote, I don't know what his theology was, but um, mathematician. And um, if you're familiar with Pascal's triangle and all that, so that's that's Pascal. Blaise Pascal said um, his wager was, "Why would I believe in a not God? Right? If I believe in God, the worst I can do is better than the best I can do. If there is no God, if I if I believe in God and I'm right, well, obviously I have heaven. That's the best. If I believe." Uh, in the, in no God and I'm wrong, well, that's about the worst I can do, right? Now, if I believe that there's no God but I'm right, I, I live this life and I die, but I've lived a life that's probably going to reflect the lifestyle choices of someone that doesn't believe in God, which is, you know, all of the immorality because that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to die, so I'm going to bear all the repercussions of that of those choices. That's the best I can do if I don't believe in God. However, if I believe in God and I'm wrong, what's the worst I can do? I'm still going to make moral choices. And so I'm probably going to have fewer of those consequences. I'm not going to live a life of alcoholism. I'm not going to live a life of, you know, immorality and all those things. I'm I'm probably not going to have to fear all of every day for, you know, the you know police or someone's coming at my door because of the wrong things I've chosen. So so he's like, even if I'm wrong, I'm still better off. So why would I ever choose this? This this is this is dumb to believe that there's no God. Now, <clears throat> if you think about that statement, it is directly opposite of what Paul says. Paul says, listen, if we are wrong, we're the most pitiful people on the planet. Somewhere, there's a disconnect between Paul's wager and Pascal's wager. I kind of hate to argue with Paul because he's inspired. But Pascal makes sense to me. Like, I understand that. That, That's like, yeah, wow. And I use Pascal's wager. So, if they're at odds, why are they at odds? So, the reason why I think Paul says that they're the most pitiable put your hope in something that doesn't mean anything. Whereas okay. if you don't put your hope in something, if you just live for today, right. well then you don't, you don't have any hope. Your hope is in today. And okay. you don't look forward to something better. Whereas this, you're looking forward to something better, but... It's, it's not there. So, so, so there is, even, even if it's not pleasant, I'd rather just believe the truth. 
there's a, there's a certain there's a certain element of lying to yourself just because it feels good. <laughs> That's pretty pathetic. So there's that a- aspect of it. What other see the Blaise Pascal, who's relatively recent in time, looks at the situation with a different set of circumstances from what Paul is looking at it. And what's the difference? Well, in Paul's time, Christianity was just starting. Okay. And he was pushing against the norm. Okay. And so everybody there was, the, the apostles, all the apostles died horrible deaths. Okay. And now, even if you're not a Christian, you're surrounded by the effects of the Christianity world. Okay, that's and, and that's true in our culture. And obviously, there are places where that's not true, but but predominantly, correct. That's the difference. That's why they're. I really believe both Paul and Pascal are correct. They're looking at it from different perspectives. Pascal is looking at it from the perspective of a already civilized world, where you can have different religious thoughts and and you know not be persecuted. Paul is saying, listen, I, I fought with people at Ephesus. Why did I go through those? I basically fought with animals. These people were like animals. Why go through that? For something that doesn't exist, for something that's false. I, 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 I could just, I might as well, it would be a lot better for me, if there is no God, to just say, listen, eat, drink, and be merry, because we're dead tomorrow. Just enjoy this life. It doesn't have to have the immoral implications. Right? That, that's not always. There are atheists that don't live immor- immoral lives. Now, my guess is they probably had parents that were religious and instilled those values in them, even if they reject it. Well, I was going to say that just living um, an atheistic lifestyle, moral or immoral, is hopeless. So. Yes. You know yes. And that's what... But, so what he's saying is, would you rather have an honest, hope, hopeless life? But if, if, if the resurrection is not true, you have a hope that is hopeless. Right? You, you're hoping in something that's never coming. That's way worse. To, to have a hope that's a lie. Right? So, so he, he's, he's rather just give up the hope and just say, listen... I'm dealing with what I can see, and I'm enjoying it for what I can. Anything else in here? There's one more that I'm going to look at, unless you kind of... There's, there's probably a lot of different tangents we can go off here. But I want to transit... We're going to transition to some doctrinal... He gets into some doctrinal, having gone through the hypotheticals. There's one hypothetical in here that is not really... We don't talk a lot about it a lot, and uh, it, it's just—it's kind of a weird idea. Uh, but he said, "Let's see, I didn't—I misplaced. I didn't." Um, possibly, I'm in the wrong chapter. That's why I'm not recognizing. We already did that controversial topic. Yes. What will those do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? What in the world is he talking about? 
What does it mean? <laughs> what do you think it means? Give us a dab at it. What's that? The price of death has not risen. Okay. He says, what, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? And that's kind of a weird idea. I've heard, and I don't know that I agree with it, that you were dead because of your sin. Okay. And that you were baptized and then raised to life. As okay. An explanation. Okay. Well, being baptized for the dead, um, we're actually baptized because Christ is risen. Okay, so you're you're like like a ref, reference to the the dead and living Christ, right? Okay. It's a, it's a, there's a reason we don't talk about this a lot. It's challenging. There might be people who are dying uh, being okay. baptized because Joe, my brother, did not um. have an opportunity. So I'm being okay. So, so, so I think I think you're coming close. I think you're getting close. I think that's that's possible. I think there's. I, I think we could take one more step, and I think we might be there. Before we get there, uh, what is this used to support? Why everybody's Mormon. Okay. If you've ever wanted to do a genealogy, you have accessed at some point in time. Mormons databases because they got the best databases there's a reason when they do their two year missionary tours one of the things they do is they go and chart cemeteries and any dead type of registry the reason that they do that is because they practice what is called proxy baptism they look up any names they check back with the Utah and see if somebody has baptized in the name of the dead. If not, they will be baptized in place of the dead to try to get them to heaven. It's kind of like Mormon's last rites, like the last, last, last rites. So if you died something or other and you're, you know, you're, they're going to get you to Mormon heaven somehow or other. That's, that's, that's what they think. And, that's, they, and they take that from here. That's ludicrous. Maybe I can get baptized retroactively to undo the Mormon baptism? No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can, can I don't want to go to Mormon. Yeah, I, yeah. It's like, I put that on my cemetery. No Mormons, please baptize in my name. Um, yeah, so it, it's kind of weird. It's a weird idea. It's like, I thought it was just, I pop up in the wrong place. Wait, wait, hey, wait. I didn't want to come here. So I, I thought about The, the thing I guess that makes the most sense to me is more along the lines of I almost think like the families that were, you know, like me and my household were going to be baptized now. You know, this that's just the thing you did. I don't know if like your brother was baptized and he was a Christian but he's dead now and you're like you know, if he if you believe that then I'm going to be baptized because if he believes it then I maybe I should believe it. You know, something along those lines, like, I, I think, yeah. I, I think... Not, not, not for them, like, a process. Right, 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 right. Because of them or for their sake. Yes. I'm oh, I, I think, I think, I like that. I like that, the way you say that, for their sake. Not, not necessarily because of, but... Um, 
one of the things that we've seen happening in, in, in Ukraine is people, when, when there's serious trauma and tragedy happening, people get very serious about spiritual things. Right? Stupid nonsense that you have time to deal with when you're bored. Right? Like, like no one in Ukraine right now is concerned about uh, what pronouns you're using. That, that, that's gone. They don't care. That's not an issue. They, they, they couldn't care less right now about gas tax and prices right now. It's, it's not an issue to them. Like, like, like stuff that we in our culture are, get so up in arms, one way or the other, they don't care about. Their, their minds have been singularly focused on eternity. A great number of them. When, when you have, um, you know, and I, uh, what we call uh, Pilgrim's Progress, a dangerous journey, when you, you think of martyr um, and, and his, or faith, I can't remember which one, is, is killed. And, and, and you see the townspeople start to respond to that. that. That's kind of what's being portrayed, I think, as a result of this in here. Those who are affected because of what they see, this person went and died for the resurrection, for some belief in this thing. And, and it becomes something that changes them and makes them want to make a decision. I think it goes back to the previous line about, um, oh wait, no, the, the previous paragraph about having hope. Like, because it says if there's no resurrection, what will happen to those who are baptized? It's not, not for the dead, but if there's no resurrection, what happens to them because they were baptized because somebody else died. Right. And they're right. They, what would they they are now had that hope right. in being resurrected. So right. if there's no resurrection now, right. there's all these all these uh, yeah, exactly. Now this is incredible statement. This is this is an incredible statement and we never turn here because it's because this is so confusing and we just skip over this verse. We miss perhaps the strongest verse in our New Testament <coughs> that describes the fact that baptism is necessary for salvation. This is probably the strongest one. Stronger than Acts 2.38. Because when he wants to link eternity to some event... But he, 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 when it, when it, you're not going to get there. He links baptism to the afterlife. He doesn't link... We obviously understand that faith is necessary, but as the, the moment, if we're going to pick out a moment, he doesn't pick the moment that you... He doesn't say, what will happen to those who say the sinner's prayer because of the dead? What will happen to those who repent because of the dead? What will happen to those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, because of the death? He doesn't go to any of those points. Those are, uh, you know, those, those moments, those aspects of our faith are all important. I'm not diminishing those in, in any way. But when he wants to come to a moment that takes your destiny and says it was going this direction, it's now going this direction, 
baptism. And, and we miss that because this is such a because it's a hard it's like ah it's, it's in there and it's kind of confusing. But it is an amazing, amazing point that that Paul makes. So with that, I want to. Uh, turn to some doctrinal considerations here. Um, it talks about Adam and Christ. And what is the comparison? Adam introduced that Christ overcame What? Death. Death, okay. That's important for several reasons. First of all, what specifically did Adam give us? Sin? Nope. He gave us death. What kind of death? Separation from God. Okay. Physical. Physical. Everything in this context is referencing physical death. Now, there might be other implications there, certainly. Separation from God and from the garden and things like that. There's no doubt. But this deals with physical death. And Romans has the same passage. Paul talks about the same thing in Romans. There is no such thing. The idea of original sin is not accurate. That tells us that, that Adam gave to us some spiritual flaw that, that and, and it's been, it, there's so many different ways we reference it, that, that we have a fallen nature. Have you ever heard that? We have a fallen nature? I've heard that in pulpits. That's not true. My nature is no different than Adam's. I am made in the image of God. That's what James says. That's in the New Testament. Just like Adam. There is no there is no difference. If Adam didn't have a fallen nature, then how did he sin? He was presented with an opportunity and he made the wrong decision. That's how he sinned. How do I sin? I'm presented with an opportunity and I make the wrong decision. It's the same. There's no difference. There's no internal flaw that somehow I have that Adam didn't. There's no such thing as a fallen nature. There's an opportunity. There's more opportunity. I guess he gave me more opportunity in the knowledge of sin that he had one commandment, and I've given a whole bunch. So there's more opportunities for me to make the wrong decision. But in terms of my internal makeup, there's no difference. I don't have original sin. I don't have any guilt that passes down. What he gave me was physical death. That's what this chapter deals with. Uh, and so many errors have come uh, because of that. So that's the. Uh, so that's uh, one important thing. Let's look at an, another implication of this. How did death enter humanity? Through sin. So, 
This, is, this gets into one of those things where people say, well, I'll just agree and we can disagree, and it doesn't really change anything. Practically speaking, my life is still the same, and your life still, we still, but we can misrepresent God. And as we will see at the end of this, that, that when we misrepresent things, it will eventually affect how people behave. Um, we are told that we can find a way in the Bible that we, we, we can find all these millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years. Right? And we can harmonize that. Okay, let's try that. Let's see how that works. Because this statement right here says you can't do it. I know that he doesn't say anything about millions of years. But you can't have millions of years without millions of generations. Right? If you have millions of generations, what do you have? You have a lot of death. Right? You have a lot of death happening prior to Adam. That means Adam, if Adam is the product, if Adam is the product of evolution, right? And millions of generations of things becoming things, becoming things, becoming things. Adam is a highly developed individual, right? Okay. Adam is a highly developed individual. He's naming creatures, right? He's got a he's got a vocabulary, he's got a language. That that means he's the product of things that are at least close to him that would be humans relatively who have lived and died prior to him. And Paul says can't happen because death came through sin. And that doctrine would say that death happened before Adam's sin didn't happen. You start affecting. When, when we start saying, well, we, it doesn't really change. Yes, it does. You start misrepresenting God now. Now you're misrepresenting Paul. Now you're misrepresenting Moses. And they are all just speaking from what God said to say. So I am now misrepresenting God. And Paul just said, that's not a boat that you want to be in. Right. At that point, standing before God and saying, I've been saying this to people. This was possible. This is, this is not possible. Death came through one man. And his choice. Oh. Um, so I think that's quite important. Is that clear? I know, I know it's a little technical. Um, but I hope that's understandable. So, and he comes to some doctrines of the afterlife. What does it mean that Christ is the first fruits? He was the first one that raised himself. Okay, that's for sure. Now, I'm not ever going to raise the myself. that were raised, Lazarus. Okay. Uh, the widow's son. Sure. 
Elijah, yep. Elisha, one of them raised some yep. people from, so there were people that were raised from the dead, but they didn't raise themselves. Okay, they didn't raise themselves, and one other thing. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's, it's, that's hard to say because, I mean, I, I don't know really when it started. Does it start on Acts 2? I don't, I don't know. I don't. What happened to Lazarus? He died again. He died again. I think that's the element. He's really the first fruits of eternal resurrection. He's, uh, he's different. It, it, it's his is it is not about being raised to a life here. That's not what the resurrection is about. I mean, it, it's about his eternal destiny, his his uh, immortality. So, so Christ is the first fruits. Then what? Okay, so Christ comes again, and who rise? Who get the resurrection next? Okay, so it's going to be the dead in Christ specifically. He's not referencing the living in Christ. He's talking about the resurrection. So, and and that's this, this is consistent with what he writes in Thessalonians uh, uh, in his book to the Thessalonians um, that. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who arise will rise to meet them in the air. Right? That's um, and, and Peter, like all the everybody who writes on this topic, has the same outline. Right? They don't disagree. So, and it's like a special honor. You're a faithful dead. You God God gives you a special honor. Just it's just proper, right? God has a sense of propriety. Yeah, well, we, we could talk a lot about the order and when and what, but yes, right. We, I think we generalize a, a little bit there. And so then he delivers up the kingdom, and this is going to become a, an important point uh, because we're going to get into one more doctrinal issue here. So he delivers up the kingdom. What's that? The church. Already existing. So we come to the reign of Christ, and this is the last thing I want to talk about. Uh, when does Christ's reign start? This is important. Okay. Paul speaks of this in any of his writings. Colossians, most notably, one uh, thirteen, I think, or one sixteen. I can't remember. He has. He has transferred us into his kingdom of light, right, from the domain of darkness. Paul always speaks of the kingdom as starting previously or currently existing. 
Right? That, that's, uh, unless he specifically re- is referring to the aspect of the church in heaven. There are a few of those references. John more than Paul. Uh, but the idea of Christ establishing a future kingdom is inconsistent with what Paul writes. What is the majority view? We talked about the majority. What's the majority view of Christ's kingdom, if you're asking people today, in, in the religious, in the Christian world? What's the kingdom? Heaven. What? Heaven. No. What? Heaven. Nope. That, it, that's not what people refer to when they talk about the kingdom. The millennium. Christ's kingdom on earth. The thousand year reign. That is the popular view. Mm-mm. I'm telling you, you, it, it, you walk down to any Baptist church or any, I mean, you'll hear the reference the kingdom and that's like a pew. Kingdom, kingdom, I'm specifically referring to the word kingdom. I mean, if people say the kingdom of heaven, then, the, the, oh, that's, the, that's heaven. But if you just say kingdom, that's millennium. That's, that's the thousand-year peaceful reign on earth of Christ. And after that, Satan gets loose, and then there's a rapture thing happening somewhere in here, and then there's a, I don't, it's really confusing. Okay. Yes, yes, science fiction. But what is present in Christ's kingdom? And this is important. When does Christ when does Christ turn over his kingdom? When does he no longer acting as the king of the kingdom? What? Okay, so when he ends enemies. In other words, this idea that there's a peaceful reign of Christ ever is non-existent. Not according to Paul. Paul says that he's got all he's he's got like enemies, 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 enemies. He's done, and that's he's got like he doesn't have a thousand years of peace. He's got like three seconds of peace, and then he's like, "Here, God, yours." And that that's the portrayal. That's the literal portrayal. Right. But he came out with the keys of, of death sure. and Hades. Correct. So I'm thinking he still fought. Sure. To get right. those keys. Yeah. And and it doesn't mean that right. And and it doesn't mean that the fight is over. There's other and I don't know who those are. I don't know who all those enemies are. And I don't think there's ever going to be a point at which we have total peace where where there's no bad guys. I think the idea is that those who do damage or major damage to the kingdom. Those who are, there's, there's some group or groups, and he's like, these have to be taken out. I'm going to show who I am, and when I do that, which it's obviously not done yet, then I'm going to declare victory. You know, it's like those, those two guys in Japan that were still fighting the war. Did you ever heard that story? The two guys, the two guys in Japan that were still fighting, like three years later, didn't know that the war had been ended. They were in like Iwo Jima or somewhere. Like no one told them. And uh, there's always going to be that. There's, there's going to be people fighting the skirmishes. But but whatever God determines, the war's over now. I've won. 
that's when he's coming back. That's when he's turning it over. And so I just want to, uh, to finish with that in application real quick. Um, we're not, as we say, we're not going to get to that point. Uh, verse 25, um, he must reign till he's put all enemies under his feet. Um, we look at bad guys in our world, and sometimes I think the bad guys that we think are really bad guys don't rate with God. They're, like, they're just not significant to what God is doing, even though they're really bad people. Putin doesn't rate. In the history of, of bad people, you know, yeah. he never will. He's not going to do damage to the church. That, that's where God's concern is. It, it has, Ukraine, win or lost, he's it, not going to damage the church. He's not got that kind of power. Adolf Hitler didn't. So it, what, Adolf Hitler was here and gone. Did a lot of damage to people. Didn't damage the church. Now, you take a, a piker like we go, who's Maximilian Robespierre? I mean, he killed thousands, but not millions. But he's major. Revelation kind of refers to him and what he did with, with, the, with, with the French Revolution, with, with, with the damage to the church and atheism being spawned out of this and, and going worldwide. That's major damage. Well, not permanent damage. That hurt the church. Christ mentions it. Where are those guys? Boom. I'm going to end you. And these are enemies that he takes out of the way one by one. And then he says, the end, and that's what Revelation is about. When I take care of these enemies, it's over. But I, I, I do want to leave you with, with, with that. Uh, that and, and some of the things that we, we talk about. It's important that we get things right. That we represent God correctly that we don't think that we can say what I want to say and teach what I want to teach and think that, well, it's all right. God will overlook it. So, All right, we're going to dismiss there.